Thanks everyone for joining us today. I am Esther Kim. I am a practicing retina specialist in Orange County, California, and I have the pleasure of being joined today by my amazing friend and colleague, Dr. David Chinyi from Atlanta, Georgia. David, thanks so much for being here with me today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to a great discussion. Awesome. So we are going to be talking about the considerations for more durable agents in treatment of neovascular age-related macular degeneration. We'll have a brief overview of the data and then diving into some case studies. So let's start with the bird's eye overview, the hot topics these days, right, David? It's mm -hmm. the aflibercept eight milligrams or the high dose and then furosemab, specifically with regards to the treatment of neovascular age-related macular degeneration. And just as an overview for our listeners, um, a flibercep 8 milligrams was approved this past August for these three conditions, wet AMD, diabetic macular edema, and then diabetic retinopathy. And this was studied in this pivotal phase three clinical trial called PULSAR. And this was to compare the control arm of a flibercep 2 milligrams with the high dose or 8 milligrams, which is four times the molar concentration, and uh, patients were given three loading doses and then basically jumped right into their lanes. So in eight milligrams, there was an arm that went to Q12 week dosing, another arm that went to Q16 week dosing, and then the control arm stayed at Q8 weeks. And um, this is kind of like the main takeaway slide. And David, I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on this, but basically it showed that 83% of patients were able to maintain uh, dosing at Q12 weeks or greater. Yeah, what checks out to you about this? I got to say, I think this is what is impressive to me. I think right now, and you know, our regular older agents that we're more accustomed to using, um, as you mentioned, a flibercept two milligram or um, ranibizumab or even Avastin, I did not, I definitely didn't have over 80% of my patients get it extended or treatment every 12 weeks. And quite frankly, the fact of even having patients get treated every 16 weeks or every four months, I didn't even think about or consider having our patients being extended that long. So, you know, the results for this have actually definitely changed my practice pattern. And again, it's reassuring to, to note that these patients were not pre-selected, right? It was as they came in, they were, they were teared out either getting every 12 weeks or every 16 weeks, they were not assessed based on the severity and randomized. And it was great to see that these patients are greater than 80% to be extended out to every three months. Those are some really, really great points. I think these studies are just kind of upping the ante, right, Dave, in terms of what we are coming to expect of the newer anti-VEGF agents. But just a quick summary of the two primary endpoints. So the first is obviously the mean change in best corrected visual acuity. They looked at 48 weeks, so at the end of one year. And despite the fewer number of injections, there was no difference in vision gains among between the treatment arm and then the eight milligrams arm. So that was, obviously we don't wanna compromise durability for efficacy and obviously vision. Um, the other thing that was looked at was reduction in central retinal thickness. And again, there was no difference um, in the control arm versus in the eight milligram uh, arm, but it is impressive that there was uh, even a 20 micron relative reduction to the control arm. So certainly not inferior in any way to that control arm. Have you had experience with eight milligrams so far? And is this data reflective of your experience? Yes, I do think it's a... Uh 
more durable or better drying agent to a certain extent, which is what um, we can kind of see here when we look at the CRT or on the anatomic outcomes, um, that the patients get dry a little bit faster. And that is something that I look forward to being able to tell our patients that potentially you can expect to see improvement sooner or faster than later. Totally, totally agree. Um, I just wanted to switch gears to ferisimab. So this is the other new kid on the block. Uh, ferisimab has been out for over a year though. So in addition to those indications, it was recently FDA approved for retinal vein occlusions. And the studies for ferisimab for neovascular AMD were conducted via Tenaya and Lucerne. And these were two-year phase three studies. And the arms are very similar. So you have the control arm of two milligrams Q8. And then there were three treatment arms Ferisimab being given every Q8, Q12, or Q16 weeks. Um, so again, always just trying to up the ante. We're trying to improve on the existing uh, situation. So this is kind of that same money slide, you know, that you saw with the high dose. But what's the bottom line? Like how far were patients able to get to extend and how much of this is an improvement upon our existing armamentarium? So 78% of patients on FirstMab were able to get to Q12 week or more dosing, which is equally uh, impressive and uh, really has you know, set the bar for us in our field. Um, yeah. I was just going to talk briefly about the vision. So similarly, vision gains uh, were not inferior in the FirstMab arm compared to Aflibercept 2 milligrams at 48 weeks. And then the drying effect was also excellent. Um, as you can see here, anything in this particular slide um, jump out to you in terms of the changes in CST and then maybe the nature of the curve that you see there? I mean, you clearly here when you especially look at that match dosing phase where they were getting monthly between the furosemab and the flibercept, uh, two milligrams, you can clearly see it's, again, much um, better reduction in the furosemab arm. And you can see that happened as early as after one in treatment, right? So at four weeks. So again, to me, what that suggests is potentially a better, stronger, faster drying agent. And if we're able to get our patients um, drier faster, that's better. The other thing is you see the sawtooth pattern and the um, aflibercept arm compared to the ferisimab arm, that stabilization or flat line of the curve shows that there's less fluctuation. And we know in anything, you know, the more fluctuation you may have in terms of fluid coming and going, that could potentially lead to um, long-term loss of vision um, and damage. So again, I much prefer seeing that flatter, smoother curve, like what we're seeing here in this um, anatomic CSD outcome graph. Yeah, that's a great thing that you point out. I mean, we always go for the anatomy and we know that study after study has corroborated that better anatomical outcomes will correspond with better visual gains. Mm -hmm. So to have less of that sawtoothing over time, I think is, is going to be beneficial for the patient, but also provide better options for durability. So now that we have this data and this sort of bird's eye view of what we now have available to us, um, we our job as retina specialists is to translate this into real life. And we know that that crossover from cl clinical trial to real life can be different and there can be barriers to that happening. Um, just a couple of things off the top of my head, some of these potential limitations to treatment outcomes in real life would be compliance or adherence to treatment, 
recalcitrant cases, those patients who no matter what you throw at them, there's always going to be residual fluid. Of course, there's the, the real world issue of insurance coverage where not all of these amazing medications are available to us when we want them. Then there are, of course, financial concerns. These um, drug companies do a great job of really trying to make it available to all patients, but sometimes there are financial issues. Patients may not be educated properly on all the different treatment options that are out there. And then clinical trials have specific inclusion and exclusion criteria that do not necessarily reflect the specific uh, requirements in real life. For example, like massive hemorrhages or massive PEDs or things like that, patients would be excluded. And then finally, there's just an overall increasing treatment burden because not only is there treatment for wet AMD, now there's treatment for dry AMD or geographic atrophy with these anti-complement factors. Among the list that you see here, David, are there any that really jump out at you? Or would you say, you know, this is like a top one or two that seems to really be a barrier for me in terms of uh, getting these treatment outcomes in real life? Yeah, I think as you mentioned, clinical trials one, the patients are tend to be motivated. That's why, you know, they accepted being in a clinical trial. So they're going to probably show up. Real world, there are all these different variabilities that lead to problems, things that jump out. And I think is very common would be just the fact of the burden of coming in and getting treatment, um, right? Having to come in, whether it be every four, every six weeks, et cetera, um, it can be onerous on the patient, on their, you know, the caregivers, the family members. And so I'd say just the compliance and adherence to the fact of being able to come in would be the number one reason. Life happens, right? Patients have emergencies. They have other doctor visits. And so I think that would be the number one concern. Obviously, I would tie together, you know, these recalcitrant cases and maybe now the increased burden of having new agents available to us would also be uh, top of mind of having some of the real reasons why we don't get the translation like we would expect from clinical trials. Those are some really great points, and I think everybody's experience is going to differ a little bit, right, depending on where they practice and things like that. But um, two of the points that I wanted to talk about today with particular cases were um, the compliance and adhering to treatment issue, as well as the increasing treatment burden for those patients who have concomitant GA uh, or geographic atrophy and wet AMD. So I call case number one motivated but evolving comorbidities. So this is a 67-year-old Caucasian woman. Uh, when she initially presented to me, she had early dry AMD in the right eye, and then she had new onset wet AMD in the left eye. And she was treatment naive. She made it very clear to me that I am a very motivated patient. I am terrified of going blind or losing my vision, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I get the best outcome possible. Uh, when I saw her, I started her on Farisimab. And this is her uh, initial OCTs. So right eye, the vision, this is the dry AMD. I was 2030 and the left eye was 2080. David, what do you see here? Yeah, so as you said, the right eye, 2030, she does have some drusen. In the left eye, you see a PD and some subretinal fluid consistent with um, new onset wet AMD. And I agree with you at this point, 2080, um, you know, significant drop in vision. Um, definitely would recommend treatment with furisimab is a definitely reasonable choice. So um, that's exactly right. She's kind of your bread and butter wet AMD case. So two weeks after furisimab, she, two and a half weeks, uh, she came back oftentimes after a first 
injection, I might bring the patients back a little bit sooner than four weeks, just so that they have some skin in the game, they know that they're seeing some improvements and progress, and that I know that they are responding appropriately to the medication. So I brought her back at two and a half weeks, and the vision had improved to 2050. How do you do it, David? Do you usually bring patients back any sooner, or you just have them go straight to four weeks? Usually I have them go back to four weeks. Now, similar, you know, in new uh, medications, for example, if it was the first time I'm using Fursimab, I would probably have them come back in two weeks. More so because it's a new medication to me. Yes, it's been through a clinical trial, but real world, we know that we may be a little bit more concerned. And so for safety reasons and concerns, I may in those cases have patients come back in two weeks to assess. Or if there are that, that case or that patient that, I am not seeing great response at four weeks. I may want to bring them back a little bit sooner or earlier to see if we're actually getting a treatment effect. But routinely, I do have them come back in four weeks. But great results you can see here in this patient, significant improvement on the anatomic on the OCT, the PED, subretinal fluid is gone, vision improved to 2050. I mean, great results after just one injection. Yeah, just like you said, I mean, it's just a, it's a nice extra data point to have. So if we march it out, she got her second dose and her third dose consistent with loading doses. Just curious, I usually do a loading times three, regardless of the medication. Do you do things any differently? Because that's another point that differed in the clinical trials. Yes. You know, in a, I would tell you I have a tendency to stretch patients out rather um, early if they're doing really well. I won't routinely always do monthly loading doses. Um, I may do the first two definitely. And if they're doing well, I may extend out to six weeks, but it depends on the patient is what I would say. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, she also, and you can see her PED is also resolving really nicely. So, and her vision is also improving as well. So that may be certainly playing a role into her ultimately her visual acuity, mm -hmm. but let's see what happens to her. So we're all just marching along. Things are going well. I completed my loading dose. I'm trying. I'm planning to do my usual extension to the six-week interval. But believe it or not, between the last shot and then the six-week visit, she had a routine mammogram scheduled, but she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She underwent surgery. She had chemotherapy. She literally had gone through the ringer. But she was so worried about her eye that she called the office and said, you know, Dr. Kim, I... I am unable to come in physically, but I am worried about my vision and my eye. You know, what can we do? And mm -hmm. my job is to reassure her and tell her, look, things happen. We will pick up right when you where we left off as soon as you can safely get back to the clinic. So when I saw her, her vision had fallen from 2040 to 2050 minus two. And there's obviously a recurrence of the subretinal fluid. Mm -hmm. What do you think? are the options at this point if this person is sitting in your chair? Well, you know, I guess the biggest concern and question is what is the, you know, how is her treatment going? What is her next steps? Um, she already told you she was very motivated. You know, visual um, improvement is, you know, very important to her as it is to most of her patients in general. Um, so it's kind of weighing the balance, which is hard, right? And so yeah. Yeah, you could definitely restart. You know, she responded fairly well on Fursimab, but obviously she couldn't go nine weeks. That was definitely too far. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of options would be to consider maybe a more, another durable agent that may last even longer. But again, no one would be at fault of saying continuing on the same, um, restarting the medication and seeing how she do. But again, just having that discussion, knowing the expectations that 
unfortunately, we need to definitely continue these treatments. And how will that play into your course that you're dealing with this breast cancer? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. I mean, kind of knowing where are you in your treatment course and how much time do we have, basically. So she told me she had a hiatus in her treatment, you know, before she underwent like radiation and that she promised she would come back. So I talked to her about all the things that you said. I said, ultimately, you had a phenomenal response to map. Let's stick with that. I would go back to the six week interval, just literally picking up where we left off. Um, and then if at the six week interval you have fluid or upon extension, say to the eight week interval, you have recurrence of fluid, I would have a low threshold to switch. But uh, I decided to stick through with it, get back on track. I had her come back after six weeks after I had given her first med that day and she is still dry. So at this point, I would probably plan to do one more six week. If that looks good, then then we march on forward. So good good outcomes for her and she's she's very pleased. Um, just jumping into the second case. So um, there is that issue of increasing treatment burden and it's not surprising that those with wet AMD, a form of advanced macular degeneration also have higher incidences of advanced dry AMD or GA. And complement inhibitors have hit the scene in full force, pegcetocoplan, avacin captet pegol, the issue with these are unlike the beauty of these treat and extend, go 16 weeks, these mm -hmm. anti-complement factors, you are fixed. You are effectively locked in at this point in time at every four, every eight-ish week dosing. Um, are you doing GA drugs? And if so, where do you usually um, fall in the spectrum of dosing these? Yeah, I completely agree. And yes, I am using um, both agents, actually. And you did a fantastic job on the pronunciation of the words. I would say that's probably one that one of the hardest things. But with that being said, um, at this point, I'm primarily dosing uh, majority at an every eight week um, basis. Obviously, um, with Avacin Capted, Pegol, which you did amazing, you know, the indication is she's every four weeks for at least one year. But um, I do feel comfortable based on, you know, reviewing some of the two year data, um, having these patients actually giving them the option of getting treated every two months or every eight weeks. I'm doing the same thing you are. I've been doing every eight weeks unless something special or particular has come up. But because of this sort of being locked in, I am all the more motivated to extend treatment intervals mm -hmm. for these wet AMD injections. And I'm almost revisiting, you know, the, the treatment intervals that many of these patients have been on. This is an example of my own patient who had these juicy PEDs overlying um, intraretinal fluid. And lo and behold, 12 months later, the PED has collapsed. She has this large fovea involving GA. And now she would be a reasonable candidate to get both treatments for the wet and the dry. Mm -hmm. um, have you had a lot of patients like this, David? Do you have a lot of patients who are receiving yeah. both kinds of treatment? I actually think these are some of the easiest patients to get um, treatment on. One, they have an idea of what it's like to get an injection, right? One of the first um, limitations or, or is for the fear of actually getting a needle in the eye. If these patients have already been getting treatment with for their wet AMD, they're a little bit more open. And they also understand the idea that, look, they're still having difficulty with vision, right? Now they have this central geographic atrophy. I think they have a good understanding um, just having the disease state of being able to say, I'm okay with getting an injection because one, I know what that's like. 
and at least saying that the idea is to preserve vision, right? We're not improving, but the idea is to try to preserve or I should say um, decrease how quickly the vision deteriorates. Couldn't agree more, Dave. Um, so just moving on to my case. So case number two, I call her wet and dry. So 75-year-old Caucasian woman, she'd moved from out of state. She had been getting a Flibercep two milligrams every seven to eight weeks for many years, uh, both there and then also with myself, both eyes were really unable to be extended beyond this. She always had recurrent of, recurrence of fluid. So on, when I first saw her, this was her initial presentation. Right eye, she was 2040. Left eye, she was 2070. She underwent cataract surgery um, within a short period of time after I'd initially started seeing her. Her vision improved remarkably, so she now we know what her true best corrected visual acuity is. So the right eye is 2025, and the left eye is um, 2050. But anything exciting here going on, Dave? Um, no, maybe some early signs of geographic atrophy, some Jews and RP changes. There's a question on the left eye if there's some fluid there. Um, hard to see. You know, a lot of times with these OCTs, looking at that one snapshot. Always definitely recommend scrolling through, but maybe if there's a little bit of fluid there, um, temporal to the fovea and the left eye. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And you kind of pointed out that area of geographic atrophy nasally. Mm -hmm. So just to highlight that more, so this was back in back in 2022 when I wasn't routinely getting autofluorescences, right? So I had to rely on the OCT infrared image. So last year in July, this was clearly an area of geographic atrophy that was present. And then this was a recent photograph from November 2023. And if you really look carefully at the outline of this lesion, it has indeed grown. You can see yeah. when you compare those rings where it starts to abut, um, but there is clear demonstration of growth here of her GA in a year's worth of time. Um, this is a the autofluorescence image from that November date. Um, what do you see here, Dave, in the autofluorescence images? Yeah, so again, you see in the right eye, there's those uh, multifocal areas of um, geographic atrophy, and they have that more larger area of G in the left eye. Also have banding or that hyper autofluorescence around the edge of the lesion, which is correlates to the fact that this is potentially going to continue to grow. I also love that you had that uh, near infrared image. I do use that a lot as well to kind of educate patients and Thankfully, uh, many cases, we have those pictures to be able to show to patients or educate them on the fact that, hey, this is something that has been growing and here's a nice way to, to show that to you. So I love that that you did that as well. Thanks, Dave. I also love that you pointed out that uh, perilesional hyperautofluorescence. So I do use that to guide my decision-making in terms of how aggressive I want to be in terms of starting anti-complement therapy and the timing on that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, next steps at this point, it sounds like we would both uh, consider starting her on anti-complement therapy. And I did indeed start her on pexidocoplan in the left eye every eight weeks. But between getting the aflibercept two milligrams every eight weeks, both eyes, pexidocoplan every eight weeks in the left eye, appointments are really starting to pile up, you know, like every two months, I could live with that every month, because I certainly wouldn't do a dry and a wet AMD injection on the same day. You know, what are some of the options at this point? Do you just stay the course and tell the patient, sorry, you got to live like this? Or do you start to think about switching anything up? Yeah, I completely agree. And as you mentioned, you know, going through some of the, the data points, 
we know that some of our newer agents have the capability of extending even way further. And so I think this is a great momentum or a boost. Yeah, she's doing well on two milligrams, but if we can use a more durable agent and allow her some you know, time or spacing between treatment with that, I think that'd be helpful for her and for us as practitioners as well. Yeah, awesome. Uh, now that we have other options at our disposal, we don't have to tell patients this is the end of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, we can certainly try to up the ante and basically um, be greedy, be greedy about how far we can extend these patients without sacrificing any efficacy. So I decided to keep the interval the same to start, you know, every seven yeah. to eight weeks, see how she does with that and then plan plan to extend. Um But thanks so much, David, for your time. I love chatting with you as always and hope the listeners learned something as well. Thank you, Esther. That was amazing. Great discussion. I hope to see you again soon. Mm -hmm.